Let's stand together for the reading of our gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to St. John, the ninth chapter, beginning at the first verse. Glory to you, Lord Christ. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. And he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that he is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. For the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know. That though I was blind, now I see. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to Christ. Come now, Holy Spirit, we pray, overrule and overwhelm. Overrule and overwhelm the, these words that are spoken and these words that are heard. Use them, Lord, to give us eyes to see Jesus, the light of the world. Be glorified in this and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's be seated. In St. John's Gospel account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, St. John spends 
uh, one of his major themes is he likes to play with these ideas of, of light and dark. He likes to play with these ideas of, of, of lightness and darkness. Light in St. John's Gospel is the place of illumination. It's the, the place of goodness, the place of God. And, and dark, darkness is the place of evil, the place of opposition to God, and the place of ignorance of God. We see in the Gospel, all the way back in chapter 1 uh, of, of St. John's Gospel, Jesus is talked about in terms of being light, the light of the world, and darkness is talked about in terms of trying to keep the light out. All the way back in St. John's Gospel, chapter 1, the fifth verse. In the eighth chapter of St. John's Gospel, Jesus stands up in front of a crowd and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here in St. John's Gospel, chapter 9, Jesus comes upon a man who has been in what we could consider perpetual darkness. He cannot see. He was born blind. And Jesus says again, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then Jesus brings the light. We see dramatically played out in this uh, uh, parable in action, or perhaps we can call prophetic action. We see Jesus play out what it means for him to be the light of of the world as he takes this man born blind and he heals him so that he physically can see. And then in the interaction between the Pharisees and the man who's received his sight, we see that there's a reality behind a spiritual blindness in which the Pharisees cannot see Jesus, the light of the world. The man does see Jesus, the light of the world, and comes into the kingdom of God. In this entire passage, what we see is simply this. Jesus is the light of the world, and you will either see by him or you will be blinded by him and remain in darkness. In Scripture, blindness works on two levels, the physical and the spiritual. In the Old Testament, those who were physically blind were set apart. They were a special caste. There were things that they could not be a part of because they were physically blind, but they were to receive compassionate care from those who were not. And God goes so far in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, he goes so far to say that there are special protections for men and women who were blind. It's physical blindness. But blindness is also used metaphorically to describe the spiritual status of a person or a people who are either opposed to God or ignorant of God, willfully or unintentionally. One of the words for blind is tuflas, and that means opaque, as in smoky or, or foggy. And so this blind man had eyes that were opaque, and the Pharisees reveal themselves to have spiritual eyes that are smoky. They cannot see through them. Unintentionally or willfully, those who have spiritual vision that is opaque are blind to God and to his ways. Their spiritual vision is clouded, smoky, and opaque. And here in John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born physically blind. And by doing so, he also deals with any spiritual blindness within the man as he exposes the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you have them with you and already open to John chapter 9. If not, I'll 
pause as you open up your app on your cellular device, your smartphone. John chapter 9. As we look at John 9 together, and as you find it in your Bibles, the first thing we notice is that Jesus takes the initiative in this entire chapter. Jesus only shows up as the bookends of the chapter, and he takes the initiative in both those episodes. On the one hand, he sees the man who's been born blind. He goes to the man who has been born blind. He heals the man who has been born blind. As a result of his reception of this healing and as a result of his growing faith in the face of opposition, the man is cast out of the synagogue by the Pharisees. And we are told at the end of the chapter that Jesus heard the man had been cast out and did what? He went and found him. So before anything else, we need to recognize that Jesus is the one who takes the initiative to cure us of our blindness. Jesus is the one who takes the initiative to step into our darkness to shine his light so that we might see. And he says to his disciples, because there's a real question here, blindness is suffering. Suffering is a result in their thinking, is a result of action, of sin. There is even Jewish thought at this time that a child could sin in utero and cause consequences in, in the life. Now, if it was possible to sin in utero, I did it. I'm telling you. I played soccer with my mom's kidneys for ten and a half months, or however long. That's a really long incubation period, isn't it? <laughs> but Jesus is very careful to say it's not a matter of sin. This man's sin, blindness was not caused by his parents' sin. It wasn't caused by his own sin. It's an issue, rather, of the manifestation of God's glory through Jesus Christ. And one of the first things that this guy gets to see when he sees is the face of Jesus. He spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. He anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and he said to him, Go and wash in a pool of Siloam. And he went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. And this action that takes us back to the creation of man out of dust in Genesis chapter 2, Jesus recreates physically eyes and eyesight in the man who was physically blind. And in doing so, Jesus does something that no one else has ever done in the history of the entire world. No one ever has done this. You can't find the healing of a blind person in all of the Old Testament. It's not there. And in the New Testament, there's only one incident that even remotely comes close to this, and all that really is, is God, through the prayers of Ananias, removing the temporary blindness of Saul after his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. Jesus makes a very important claim when he heals the man who was born blind. Giving sight is something that is associated in the Old Testament with God himself. In Exodus chapter 4, in the midst of God's call upon Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, Moses starts to kind of argue with God, basically saying, find somebody else. He's got all these excuses. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. He, He comes to the point where he says, I stutter when I talk. And God says this, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Then in a song of praise found in Psalm 146, we read, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. In the Old Testament, giving sight is directly connected to the work of Yahweh, the Lord. 
And Jesus, notice what he does in John chapter 9. Jesus connects himself to that which only God can do, that which only God was thought to ever do, and that which no prophet ever before him, no matter how great, had ever done. He gives sight to a blind man, a man born blind. There's something else for us this morning. In the Old Testament, opening the eyes of the blind was also an activity expected for the Messiah, the rescuer sent by God to deliver his people. It happens a couple of times in prophecies in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 29, 18 is representative when it says this, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of the book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. And when some disciples during Jesus' ministry, when some disciples came from John the Baptist and asked if Jesus was the Messiah, the one to come, the one that you were looking for, Jesus offered this as evidence for his identity. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. So when Jesus does this miracle, Yes, it's for the man's good, absolutely. It is for the greater glory of God because the Messiah is being revealed. Jesus is declaring that he is intimately and uniquely connected to God and to God's work in this special way. He is the Messiah. He is the light of the world who makes the blind to see. And those who are physically blind can be made to see in Jesus. And certainly those who are spiritually blind can have their smoke evaporated, their fog lifted as the light of the world breaks in upon them. All in six verses does Jesus do this amazing thing. So he reveals that he has power to heal those who are physically blind. But there's more to, what Jesus, more to what Jesus can do as the light of the world. He makes the spiritually blind to see. And he blinds those who remain in darkness. We want to look at what it means to be in darkness and what it means to be in light. What does it mean to respond to the light of the world with, with faith? And what does it mean to respond to the light of the world with rejection? And John helps us understand that because he gives us the interaction of the Pharisees and the man born blind, the man who'd received this healing. The Pharisees get involved in this whole controversy because they were the religious authorities. They were respected as keepers of the law. And when the neighbors... And those who had seen the man as a beggar couldn't figure out who he was and what happened. They took him to the Pharisees because the Pharisees then, they thought, could render right judgment on what had happened. But here's the thing about the Pharisees. Though they claimed to be able to see, they were blind because they do not and cannot recognize Jesus. They are blinded by the light. One of the most misunderstood lyrics in all of rock and roll history. I don't know what comes after that. (laughs) Wrapped up like a deuce in the middle of the night. Okay, crazy. They get so incredibly caught up, these Pharisees, they get so incredibly caught up in the fact that Jesus performed this healing, this giving of sight on the Sabbath, that they do not and they cannot see what the miracle actually means, that he's the Messiah. They're blind. John reports for us that some of the Pharisees said in verse 16, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. In their darkness of mind, the Pharisees 
refused to believe that a miracle had occurred. They refused to receive the testimony about Jesus, the testimony that the miracle itself gave, and the testimony that this man gives. They found it. This is what's crazy. They found it easier to accept a conspiracy theory that this guy and his parents had pretended that he was blind all of his life and had willingly accepted the limitations that blindness meant even though he wasn't really blind. They thought it was easier for that to happen than to simply say Jesus had performed a miracle all because he did it on a Saturday. He did it on the Sabbath. Folks, what we see here in the Pharisees is willful blindness, a willful rejection of the light. They desire to remain in the dark because coming to Jesus, recognizing Jesus as the light, means that we're no longer in control. It means that we have to admit some very uh, important things about who we are and who he is. But coming to Jesus in the light means that we're wrong and we have to admit it. And so for these Pharisees to come into the light of Jesus would have to mean, it would mean that they would have to admit, you know what, we kind of blew this one. We messed up. The desire to remain in the dark, a willful desire to be darkened, still goes on today. Because it still is true to go into the light means we're no longer in control. To go into the light means that there is illumination and revelation. It means the dark corners of our hearts are suddenly shown to be what they are. It means that the little cockroaches of our souls are now running away from the light. It is true. The Experience Project is a website where people can post and share their personal experiences. How snowflake generation is that? While the Experience Project is no longer accepting current posts, it's still available to read and to see. And on that website, people have shared their thoughts about darkness. One commenter, uh, going by the name Beyond Repair, wrote, The darkness allows me to hide who I am and what I truly feel. In the light, all things have a chance to be revealed. Darkness makes it easier to hide. Another said, Darkness blinds me to reality. It numbs me to pain and blinds me to reality that surrounds me. The Pharisees, they cannot get past what they think they know to see what is real, even when it's directly in their face. Darkness makes it easier to hide. In the light, all things have a chance to be revealed. These Pharisees can't get past the supposed Sabbath violation of Jesus making a bit of clay and healing the man. It's especially damning, I think, that this is willful darkness because this is not the first time Jesus has interacted with the Pharisees about supposed Sabbath violations. He's already stated that to care for the whole man and to heal on the Sabbath is no violation. In John chapter 7, Jesus says to the, the Pharisees gathered around him, if it's appropriate to perform circumcision on a newborn on the Sabbath so as to not break the law, It is just as appropriate to heal the whole body of a person on the Sabbath. In another context, and I think it's in Matthew, Jesus says, if you see your donkey, or I think it's a sheep in that context, if you see your sheep in a ditch on the Sabbath, you will go rescue him. How much more appropriate is then for me to rescue by giving life to a human who's of more value than a sheep, even on a Sabbath? 
But these Pharisees can't get there. They've had the conversations before with Jesus. They know the law, but they are in the dark. They are blind. And at the end of the account, Jesus affirms for them that they are indeed spiritually blind. It's difficult when the light comes in because light reveals, light uncovers, light allows us to see even the painful reality of ourselves. It's difficult when light blinds and shines. But as we see in this passage, when light comes in, light brings healing. With the illumination that Jesus brings comes faith. With the light of the world pouring in upon our darkened hearts, minds, and souls comes forgiveness, cleansing, renewal, healing, restoration, justification, sanctification, and all those other occasions that we find in Scripture. Jesus is the light of the world. He makes the blind to see. He brings healing. The man born blind here is is absolutely fascinating to me. He has got to be one of the most courageous characters in all of Scripture. The man born blind and healed by Jesus helps us to understand what it means to be in the light as we see his faith progress and it grows through this account. First off, we notice when anointed with clay, he was told to do something by Jesus, and the man went. Faith in action is obedience. The man obeyed the guy who put mud on his face. That's faith. That's obedience. It's an act of faith as he responded to Jesus' command, and he came back. Notice this. He came back giving witness and testimony to Jesus. Throughout this entire chapter of St. John's Gospel, the man gives consistent and courageous witness to Jesus. Having been blind and now being able to see, the man essentially keeps saying, you want to talk to Jesus. You want to talk to Jesus. You want to talk to Jesus. Among his neighbors and those who knew him as a beggar, he pointed to Jesus. Before the Pharisees uh, came and as they interrogated him, he pointed to Jesus. He even upped his game a little bit. He said, he's a prophet. His parents get brought into the controversy, right? This is so humorous. His parents get brought into the controversy, and they threw him under the bus, right? (laughs) Blood is thicker than water until the Pharisees get involved, right, David? They threw him under the bus, and the man stood firm. Again, hard-pressed by the Pharisees, he answers them, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. One can almost sense his faith growing stronger as the opposition escalates in his fury. And as his eyes have been opened, he can see. The darkness of his vision has been lifted physically and spiritually. The smoke that clouded his eyes and his heart has been evaporated before the light of the world. This man will not back down. This man's faith only grows as he clings to Jesus. This is an amazing thing, he says in verse 30. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The man's logic is impeccable. Look at what Jesus has done 
We know that if, if Jesus, uh, he did this, that necessarily means God listens to him. That necessarily means he's not a sinner. Even more to the point, he's done something that no one else has ever done. That means he's connected to God. The man born blind sees with utter clarity. The Pharisees who claimed spiritual sight were blinded by the light of the world. And it's important for us to see how this passage ends. This man born blind, this man of consistent and courageous witness about Jesus was thrown out of the synagogue because of Jesus. But that's not where it ends. This passage does not end at verse 34. It ends with Jesus finding the man and welcoming the healed man, the now seeing man, the man of faith into the kingdom of God. Jesus heard they had cast him out and found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus is the light of the world and makes the blind to see. To be in the light means believing in Jesus with consistency and courage, clinging to Jesus even when all else seems to be against you, even your mom and dad. Being in the light means to see Jesus, the Messiah, the one who reveals God, the one who brings forgiveness, the one who pours out his Holy Spirit and makes us see new. The season of Lent is that season of preparation for Easter through confession and repentance a season in which we are called to honestly reflect upon our sins and thus come face to face with how much we need Jesus, the light of the world, to make us see. Two points of application from John chapter 9. The call here is to be in the light. Know Jesus as Messiah. Know Jesus as the light of the world. Be healed of your darkness and live in the light. If you don't do that, if you haven't done that, do it today. There's an urgency to it. If you'd like to, come to the rail at the end of the service. I or another will pray with you and for you. Know Jesus as the light of the world. The second call here, I believe, is to be like the man who was healed. Clinging to Jesus, the light of the world, and courageously and consistently pointing toward Jesus. Folks, if we believe in Jesus, then we, like this man, ultimately have to say, I don't know, one thing I do know, once I was blind, now I can see. Come and meet the man who did it. The call here from John chapter 9 is to be like the man who was healed, clinging to Jesus, the light of the world, courageously and consistently pointing toward him. That's evangelism. This is what a church full of people who were blind and made to see by Jesus does. It points towards Jesus. This is what a church with a culture of invitation and evangelism does. It says with this man, this I know, I once was blind, but now I see. What a privilege it is to stand in the light and call others to be in the light. What a joy it is to be enlisted upon God's mission to make people who can see with Jesus Christ our Lord. What a blessed privilege it is for his church to engage the kingdom of darkness with light. 
What solace we have from John chapter 1, the darkness has not, will not, cannot overcome the light. Jesus' church is an organism made up of individuals who have been made to see by Jesus the light of the world, points toward Jesus as the light of the world, and lives like Jesus in a dark world. What a blessing. What a privilege. What a joy. What grace of God to not leave us alone, but to fill us with the power of his Holy Spirit that we can, among our family, friends, and neighbors, witness to the light. Having been made to see, are we content to leave our family, friends, and neighbors in the dark? Or do we sense the urgency of Jesus to proclaim the light of the world so that they too may see? Folks, who else do we have to talk about? What else do we have to proclaim but Jesus, who is the light of the world and makes the blind to see? I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.